This is an audio presentation of God First Church, Cheltenham, England. A community of Jesus followers, worshipping God first, proclaiming God first, and together living God first lives. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk. we said that at the beginning heaven and earth we started that heaven and earth are united so we heaven is the dwelling place of, of man of, of, of humanity of, of people and the earth is the uh, sorry let me start that again heaven is the dwelling place of God yes heaven is the dwelling place of God and earth is the dwelling place of humanity of uh, of Adam uh, Adam the man was made from the Adama the dust of the earth and uh, they, uh, heaven and earth overlapped in a, a, a fruitful garden. It says that, that God walked with, with Adam, walked with humanity in the uh, cool of the, uh, of the evening. And we said also just an interesting thing that just want to kind of pick out through, a little uh, thing that we'll skip onto. Marriage images heaven and earth united. I said this last time that God, it says in the story something quite strange. And you think, why does, it, why does God do this? And I think... If, if you kind of bear with me, you'll, you'll hopefully see as you go through. God takes a, a, a part of a rib from Adam, or a part of it. He doesn't actually say a rib. The word is a bit vague. It sort of says it's something around here. doesn't say a bit of him from here, and makes the woman, separates the woman from him, and makes the woman, and brings the woman back to him. And that's almost like the story of what happens in the whole Bible, that, that together heaven and earth united and then separated and then brought back together. But we're going to kind of geek out on that idea of this, the chest or, or the bosom or the rib cage, okay? So just keep watching for that. So, so we see that picture and it says, for Adam no suitable helper was found. Suitable helper doesn't mean uh, somebody who's going to do the dishes, gentlemen. Suitable helper means one who's complementary with. And we're going to see later on this word helper isn't about servant. It's something, it's something different. It's something about one who comes alongside, one who's from the side. Okay, and it says, And the Lord made a woman from the rib, taken out of the man. And the man said, Now this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Wow, this is what I've been looking for. And so, and then, so we see that kind of picture, and we'll come back to that. And then we see, we saw that last last time that sin uh, entered the earth, and heaven and earth are separated. Uh, that, that humanity believed this lie that we'd be better off without God, that we could run the world quite well on our own. Uh, as you can see by looking at the papers, we're not doing such a great job of that. But we we could run the world on our own without God. And what happened is that, that we we sinned against God. We believed the lie that we'd be truly free without God. And then what happened is that into the world comes in uh, sin and death and brokenness and suffering. And humanity is then separated uh, from, from the presence of God and heaven and earth are, are separated. And humanity is, it says, a humanity were exiled or uh, sent out of the Garden of Eden into a dry and parched land. And, and they were prevented from getting into God's presence. 
And then throughout the Old Testament, we see uh, encounters of heaven and earth overlapping. I talked about Moses, and I talked about other moments. We see heaven and earth overlapping because God's determined not to keep us separate from himself. He wants to bring us to himself. And it, it's, there's a wonderful line in the Exodus story when Israel's brought out of a slavery. It says, I, I, re, I brought you on eagles' wings to bring you to myself. I brought you out on, with a strong and mighty arm on eagles' wings to bring you to myself. God wants to bring us to himself. And he visits a childless couple, as we know through the Old Testament, called Abram and Sarah. He says, I'm going to bless you. To be blessed was to be within God's presence. Abram was going to be one who's going to be in God's presence. In fact, and, and uh, uh, God visits Abram. They have a meal together. And uh, he says to Abram's wife, who's not got any kids, you're going to have kids. And then he says, that, that, ch- that, that child is going to become a great nation. And through that, great na- through that nation, through that offspring, it's singular, actually. So we know who that is. What's the Sunday school answer? Jesus, thank you. Through the offspring, it's not Isaac, the whole world is going to be blessed. God's presence is going to come to the whole world. And we saw a little bit of that, that then heaven and earth overlap in this tent called the tabernacle. Tabernacle literally means God's dwelling place, that heaven and earth overlapped in this, in this tent. But So that we've got this place where, 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 where heaven touches earth. But we said last week that, that humanity couldn't go in because sin had separated them. So so in one sense, uh, uh, there there had to be a way to come in, and we talked about this last week, that the the high priest would go in once a year into the very presence of God, carrying a blood sacrifice. The blood represented the life of uh, of the people uh, that had had sinned. In other words, because sin brings death, and needed to be a a blood sacrifice, and he'd go in. Now, I was thinking this morning about all this, and I, and I was praying, Father, I just need, you need to help me with this. And probably afterwards you'll say, did he answer my prayer or not? I don't know. But I was praying, and I just thought of this. And you might think, no, 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 you just, this is unnecessary. But I thought about this, and I'll just read it, and you'll think, what's this to do with anything? But just think, what's going on here? It, and he said, the high priest who would go in with the blood, fashion a breast piece, that's that little square box, then mount four rows of precious stones on it. There were to be 12 stones, one for each of the names of the sons of Israel, each of the tribes of Israel, engrave, uh, each engraved like a seal with the names of the 12 tribes. Why does he have to do that? Because he represents the people and he has to go in with the blood of a sacrifice representing a, the people. Where does he have that? He has it on his chest. Keep thinking about chess. We're going to come back to it. And so, and the Old Testament finishes. Well, that's the recap. The Old Testament finishes with the promise that we're using for our text for this series uh, in Isaiah. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we will call him Emmanuel. And Matthew adds, for those that don't do Hebrew, which means God with us. So at Christmas, we celebrate this remarkable twist in the story. Jesus, God takes on human flesh. And we said last time, the word became flesh and made his dwelling. What's that word dwelling? Remember from last time? Tabernacle. Thank you, Christopher. No one else is engaging. But it's a tabernacle. God made his tabernacle amongst us. In other words, suddenly it's not a tent that you go to or a building you go to. Here's God on earth. 
God with us, God on earth. We have seen his glory. Remember when the, when the temple's made, when the tabernacle's made, what happens? The glory of God, the spirit of God comes down and fills the building. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. So just to blow your bubble, Jesus was not born in December. Oh, you missed it already. It's October. I, I, everything I read, everything I think says, Jesus is born at the Feast of Tabernacles. You know, why on earth would it not be that? You know, the Feast of Tabernacles, they had to live in tents in, the garden, in their gardens because to represent that they lived in tents in the, in the wilderness. So Jesus got a calm, he tabernacles with us. John says when it happened, it happened in the Feast of Tabernacles. I bet you, and you can do the math if you want from what happened with uh, John the Baptist's um, dad. Okay. That's just a freebie, just a dis... dis uh, <laughs> so when Jesus comes, the true tabernacle, what do you see happen? Angels and shepherds. It says, an angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around. Here we go again. And they were terrified. Why were they terrified? Because sin separates you. You weren't allowed to go in. Whoa, God comes, you don't feel that's great, you feel that's bad. I know we're all charismatics these days and we think, oh God, come. We think that's great and it's fine. But actually in those days they understood what it meant for God, the holy God, to come and you have to stay away. The shepherds were afraid because sin separates. But heaven is overlapping with earth. Heaven is overlapping with earth. The baby God with us is God and man. It's heaven. He is literally the overlap of heaven and earth. And it, what does it say? It says, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace on whom his favor rests. Peace means shalom. It means wholeness. It means where things that are separated are brought together. Reconciliation, that's what God's going to do. He says, I'm going to bring it all together. I'm going to bring it together. Where you were far away and you couldn't come, I'm going to bring it together. Now think about this. Think about this. I even wrote it down because I thought it was quite clever. So be impressed. Next one. This is me, okay? No quote. This is me thinking this. I thought this this morning. <laughs> Jesus is sim simultaneously the God of heaven sustaining and holding the cosmos while at the same time a baby sustained in the embrace of his mother. Heaven and earth overlap. So we believe in it. He's one minute holding the cosmos. That's what it says in Colossians. He's holding the cosmos in his hand. And the next time his hand's grasping onto Mary's uh, coat as he's feeding. And then Jesus, when he grows up, Jesus walks with his disciples. That's the earth bit. And at the same time, he's in embrace of his Father in heaven. Where do I get that from? Joe read it to us. John 1. 18. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who's in the, I like the translation, the closest embrace with the Father has made him known. They don't really know what to do with this word, closest embrace. They don't, they, if you look, every single version has a different try. So the NIV says closest relationship. The New Living says near the Father's heart. Uh, the ESV says at the Father's side. And the King James says, and we don't like to use this word, the bosom. What have we got going on here? There's something going on. Where does, Je where does Jesus live? Where does he live? He lives 
at the Father's side in that kind of Adam and Eve kind of way. Connected, one flesh connected. That's what we believe. That's the Trinity. And, and, and I love it that he's in the, he's in the closest embrace with the Father. It's forever there. That's where he lives. Now, it's funny, we started to, we gathered to, the team gathered to pray. Thank you so much for setting up. Uh, Tom Hunting, is he out? Is Tom Hunting out? I was going to give him a shout out. Tom was uh, leading the prayer, and he prays. His first line is, Father, we, we want to be in your close embrace. This morning, I thought, does he know what I'm preaching? He just prayed it. I want to be the close embrace of the Father. What happens is Jesus, that overlap of heaven and earth, the place where Jesus dwells in the closest embrace of the Father and the, and, and, and the flesh of humanity, suddenly there's an incredible overlap. And, and Jesus says it's not just for him to live there. Jesus' desire that is his disciples, his followers, learn to live in the overlap. Bear with me. In the hours before his death, uh, Jesus... Uh, uh, humanity is about to say the same thing as it did in Adam. We don't want God in the world. Came into his own, but his own did not recognize him. To, they did not receive him. Didn't want him. We want him out. We're going to crucify him. We want him out. Jesus is praying for his disciples in the garden, and he's praying this. It's my favorite verse, top ten verses, favorite verses. I prayed it when my mom was dying at the si- uh, bedside. Father, read it with me. No, next 24. Father, read this. Father, I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. Where is he? Where is he? The side of the Father, in the embrace of the Father. He prays. He said, I'm going to go to the cross because I want those you've given me to be with me where I am. I want them to be there. Think about that. The angels in heaven must thought, you're kidding. You're kidding me. The, uh, this is not possible that sinners can be in the closest embrace of the Father, close to the Father's heart, at the Father's side, in the bosom, in the chest of the Father. No way. But Jesus has already told them, that's what I'm going to do. John 14, verse 2 says, I'm going to prepare a place to you. And if I go prepare a place, I will come back and take you to be with me so that you may also be with me where I am. Jesus is praying, isn't he? Telling his disciples, I'm I'm, going to go away so that when I come back, you can be with me where I am. Now, Jesus is going away and coming back twice. So he's gone away to the cross and the grave and then coming back. And he's also going away to heaven and glory and coming back. So that, that's like a double, like it's a prophetic thing that sometimes bang, bang, you hear it twice. Boof, boof. He's going away to prepare a place. Where's he going? He's going to the cross. He's going as the, the sin bearer. He's going literally not carrying the blood of a sacrifice, as we know, but carrying his own blood. He's going as the high priest, and whose names are written on his chest? All of us. Goes in there to represent us. He goes and dies on the cross, separated from his father, 
for us, bearing our sin, our substitute in our place. That's what he's doing. He's going to bring us there. He's going to bring us there. The cross, Jesus and his people united. Great verse, Ephesians 2.13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near. We were far away, exiled far away. We've been brought near. How near? How near? This near. The closest embrace of the Father, this near. Let's just geek out a little bit for a minute. If you think we're not geeking out already, man, I, I found as I'm doing this, I'm thinking, there's another level. I honestly sat yesterday having felt in a certain amount of just frustration about Leeds being given, Chelsea being given two penalties. And so maybe that was the anger. But I start to take the cut and paste to my sermon and think, no, cut that out, cut that out. And I cut out loads. But it's just like there's so many levels to this. But let's stay with this level of the chest. Remember I said that we're at the Father's side, the holy, that Eve was taken out of Adam's side, and she's called the helper. Now, who do we know who's called the helper? Sunday school answer. It might even be up there. Boom, it is now. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is called the, the, the paracletos, is called the one who is alongside. Oh, wow. There's not just the Father there. There's not a Jesus there, but there's another one. I'll send you another another one who's alongside. So I'm going to send him, and he'll be with you forever. Let's read it. Down the page in 14, it says, I'm going to prepare a place and come back to you so you can be with me. And then verse, verse 16, it says, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Say it, helper, to be alongside you forever. Whoa, I was like freaking out. I thought, I've not seen that before. The spirit of truth, you know him, for he lives with you. It's going to be in you. I will not leave you fatherless. I will come to you. Before long, the world not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, resurrection, I, you will also live. In that day, you'll realize that I'm in my Father, and you're in me, and I'm in you. There's this kind of sense where he's saying, I'm going to invite you right into this incredible embrace called the Trinity, and you're gonna, that's where you're going to be. And so when he's, Jesus dies and is resurrected and ascended, he says, wait until that other one comes. Wait till the Spirit comes. Familiar verses, Acts 2, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, and suddenly uh, the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven. Remember, it's heaven and joining earth. Filled the whole house where they were sitting. That was definitely on the earth. And seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and come to rescue them. Remember fire, that's what we saw in the burning bush. Get in the temple, came to rescue them, and all were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages. Remember the promise to, to go to every nation, bless every nation, as the Spirit enabled them. You know, the remarkable thing, and, they, and we kind of know this, and we almost, if you're a follower of Jesus, you probably know this, that, that you lot and the global church is where God now dwells by Spirit. Used to be far away, 
Well, used to, God walked in the garden and then it was far away and we were dry and parched land and we were fatherless and no embrace, death coming. And suddenly Jesus has come and gathered us and said, I want you to be here right in my father's embrace. And he says, and then he cha- the metaphor changes, he says, you're going to be the temple where God dwells by his spirit. Paul writes in Corinthians 3.16, Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in your midst? Okay, let's kind of just try and put one application onto this. I believe that Jesus' followers are to live in this overlap place. And you think, I don't know what you're talking about. We've got to live in this in the presence of Jesus and at the embrace of the Father and in our day-to-day stuff. I must admit, John Mark Comer, uh, who's a pastor from Bridgetown Church in Portland, helped me with this. I've listened to loads of his sermons, so I can't remember which one it came from. But he quotes a guy called Brother Lawrence, who I've quoted to you before. Now, Brother Lawrence was a French soldier who became a follower of Jesus and ended up that's about 200 years ago, ended up working in a kitchen in a monastic community. And he dedicated himself to this living in both places, as it were, living in the presence of God. And he wrote a little pamphlet called Practicing the Presence of God. We'll come to the word practicing in a moment. Practicing the Presence of God. And he says this. See if you can see both places in this quote. The time of business is in his kitchen. The time of busyness does not with me differ from the time of prayer. Hmm. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, imagine a busy monastic kitchen, I possess God in as great a tranquility as if I were upon my knees before the blessed sacrament. He said, I'm in my kitchen... Everyone's shouting orders, I'm washing my pots, it's crazy. And at the same time, it's like I'm in that place of the Blessed Sacrament. Remember, he's a Catholic and it was all about sacraments. It wasn't so much about preaching in those days, it was about sacraments. He's saying, this is where John Mark Comer helped me, he's saying, you can live in two places, and and, and I've I've taken John Mark Comer's illustration and and changed it for us. He says you can be with a noisy two-year-old and in the presence of Jesus at the same time. Some of you are nodding and some of you are scratching your head. You can be setting out the chairs on Sunday and in the embrace of the Father at the same time. You can be walking your dog and in the presence of Jesus at the same time. You can be cycling to work and in the embrace of the Father at the same time. You can be in the office with your colleagues and in the, in, and in the presence of Jesus. You can be worshipping and breaking bread and in the embrace of the Father. You can be discipling all nations and surely I'm with you to the ends of the earth. Boom. That's what he intends, isn't it? You're going to make disciples of all nations and I'm going to be with you. Now, how are we doing with that? Hmm, yes. I, 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 I have obviously cracked it. That's why I'm preaching about it. My hypocrisy is on show at this point. 
It takes practice, doesn't it? And next, ter- next term, at the start of the year, we're going to talk about how do, you, how do you get this? How do you practice to be a follower of Jesus? We're doing a, t- a series called Formed, which literally means formed into his likeness or formed into his image or formed into being his disciples. We're going to do that. But John Mark Comer has got this little phrase, which has really helped me, and I keep forgetting it and then I keep remembering it. And he says... This is the phrase. I'm going to get you to repeat it after me when I've said it. Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. Who's been missing? Us. I've been missing. Jesus, surely I am with you to the end of the age. I'll give you my spirit. I'm going to dwell amongst you. You're going to be, I want you to be with me where I am. He's not gone missing, has he? We've gone missing. We've been doing everything else. I mean, I'm going to say this and Naomi's going to tell me this afternoon. Get off your phone. As I'm scrolling through more meaningless banter about Leeds United, showing my idolatry. Naomi's looking, she's looking, smile please, (laughs) Naomi. She's behind a mask. (laughs) But we do it, don't we? I mean, you know, obviously we went out on Friday and uh, we were in this place where, you know, uh, Moran's, it's called, on the Bath Road. So many people just on their phones all the time. You know, even, we were even talking about diary and the temptations. You pick up your phone and say, what have we got on that way? And then what happens is your phone's like, Ooh, we'll talk more about that. But the reality is we're absent. We just go missing. Dallas Willard, and I'm not reading this to make you feel guilty. I'm just making it feel that this is, tr- this is what it is. Dallas Willard, and we've quoted a lot in the... Um, series on uh, the Sermon on the Mount says this, the non-disciple has something more important to do than be with Jesus. Now, I'm not saying you can't be cycling to work. I'm not saying you've got to just sit in the monastery, Jesus, in your presence, Jesus, embrace me. No, it's not saying that. It's saying, but, but, but what happens is we get distracted and we, th- we forget to live in both places. That's what he's saying. Don't forget to live in both places. It says, the non-disciple has something more important to do than be with Jesus. Something on the dreary list of security, reputation, wealth, power, sexual indulgence, or mere distraction and numbness. Uh, uh, still retains his or her ultimate allegiance. So if we audit our life, how are we doing? Jesus, Jesus, you're here, but I'm gone. Jesus, you're here, but I'm here. The thing is, Jesus is much more committed to being here with being with you than you are to being with him. That's kind of handy, isn't it? Because you know, we aren't that. I'd love you to start reading your Bible if you don't do that at the start of the year. Not out of some legalistic kind of bag, but it's just saying, Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. If you take five minutes, slow down, pray, Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. Think about that through your day. Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. Jesus is committed to it. We know he's committed to it. Why? Because he came and died for us to bring us to himself. But I feel, again, a, a verse I quote often is talking to the people of God. It says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Is it there? Can you read it with me? Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were not willing 
Jesus weeps at that point. I'm here, Jerusalem, you're not willing. But we are willing, aren't we? You know, we're willing. We're going to break bread in a moment. We are willing. I started this two-parter with this great quote from Psalm 63. David. He did. He messed up, didn't he? I'm going to talk in the carol service about the women in the story of Jesus. Bathsheba. Do you know the story? She's having a bath. He's watching out the window. Go on, sends for her. Is it consensual? Unlikely. He's the most powerful man in the world. You know, he blows it. Totally blows it. So this is not sinless perfection. I'm not saying that's okay to do that, but I'm just saying actually God restores him. But bottom line was, I'm not talking about David is perfect. The bottom line is there's a longing for God. I, when we talked about, the, when did the series Divine Sex, Glenn Harrison, who's a professor at Bristol University, says all sexual desire is ultimately a longing for the presence of God. Why? Because we kind of know that Adam and Eve represent that. It's imaging something much bigger. Sorry, that wasn't in my notes. That was a freebie. <laughs> you, God, are my God. Earnestly I seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you. In a dry and parched land, that's this broken world where there is no water. I've seen you in your temple and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life. What do we celebrate at Christmas? We celebrate that Jesus has come to answer that, that he's come to take on flesh, to, to bring us to the Father's side, God with us, so that we can live in the overlap of those two. I'm going to use you again, Mr. Hunting. So we can live in that comfortable chair where we meet with God and, all, and, and, and we can live in the world. We can be in the, both places at once. Just like Jesus is in both, was in both places at once. The Holy Spirit takes us there. So we long, don't we, in this broken world, in this kind of between the worlds, where we live in the day-to-day -day and we live in the embrace of the Father. We're longing for the two to become together. Jesus says, we quoted it earlier, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back. We say it in the song. I didn't riff on it because it was in my sermon, but I probably did. But... Um, I will come back and take you to be with me that you'll be where I am. Jesus is coming back. It's coming back to take us to be with us where I am so we don't have to live in two places. We can live in one because heaven and earth are suddenly going to overlap so we're going to live in this beautiful one place. No longer reaching for him. Where are you? God, where are you when I need you? When, I, when it, things are difficult, when the when world's broken, where are you? No longer any tears and sadness. He's going to come and bring us together. And then the Bible ends with this brilliant bring it all together verses where all good biblical theology should finish. I saw, say it with me, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth that were separated have passed away and there's no longer any sea. There's no separation. Sea talks about separation and unbelief. There's no, it doesn't mean you can't go to the beach in heaven. Well, I hope it doesn't. I mean, I've been to Cape Town, I think. I want Cape Town with warm water. That's surely what heaven's got to be like, right? 
That's all you suffers. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first earth and the first heaven to pass away, and there's no longer a sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from heaven, from God, prepared as a bride. Who? Who's this talking? Who is this? Who's this? It's not Jesus, it's us. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down, prepared as a bride. Separated, we've been separated. We've been separated, prepared as a bride. And we're going to come together and go, wow. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is among people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be their God. I've had fun doing that. I hope you found it interesting. Father, thank you that you're committed. Father, Son, and Spirit, you're committed to be alongside us, to take us, to be in that one place, to be in the place where where you are. I pray, Father, that you'd help us Live a taste of the new heaven and the new earth right now. Help us take those moments to clear the clutter and say, I'm here. Jesus, we thank you right now that you're here. And we say, we're here. We're here. With a crying baby at the back, with worries about COVID with concerns about PA systems, all distracting us, we say, no, we're here. We're here. Help us live in that overlap. Help me, Father, live in that overlap. Lord, I so easily forget. I live in the walking the dog, noisy, busy life. And I forget to live in your embrace. Help me to live in your embrace this Christmas season. Thank you that you're Emmanuel, God with us. The table is the place where we celebrate heaven and earth overlap. I said that last week. This is what Paul says in Corinthians 11, 26. For whenever you eat this bread, the bread represents his broken body. Whenever you drink this cup, the cup represents his shed blood. You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're waiting for him to make it all new. Therefore, Paul says, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink the cup. What does it mean to examine yourself? It means to say, I'm going to confess my sins. Uh, I've mentioned this before, but there's, there's, there's sometimes great wisdom in the liturgies of the church that we've had for centuries. And the church that perhaps concentrates on breaking bread more than on sermons will have a, a moment of confession. I just want us to stand and just examine ourselves. For some of you, there's those little things that you feel like you could have done better. For some of you, there's those massive things that you feel like are going to define your life. 
you've stepped away from God, you've believed the lie that life would be better without him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not even a follower of Jesus and you've thought, you know, there's a longing in me that's not satisfied. So in this moment, we repent of all that stuff. We repent of going our own way and we turn and say, I'll arise and go back to my Father. We've been in a far-off country. We've spent all our money on stupid things. We've been non-disciples. We find ourselves in this broken world and we say, what a fool we've been. All the time in my Father's house has been food to spare. So we arise and come back to his table and we say, Jesus, you're here. Now I'm here. Let's take bread together. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is for you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, then please become one. It's the best thing. It's not the easiest thing, but it's the best thing. If you want to become a follower of Jesus, please just grab us and pray. But let's come, let's take, let's eat, let's proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen. For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.